Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Dad's Group Podcast, a place where you and I get to connect with incredible leaders, shape the future of fatherhood together, and dig deeper into what is happening inside the minds and hearts of new and expecting fathers. In this episode, Thomas and Adam are interviewing the CEO of Healthy Mail, Simon von Salden. Healthy Mail are a provider of information for men's health. They facilitate action on men's health in collaboration with others, advocate for change, empower men and boys to take action on their health, build the capabilities of the health system and workforce, and prioritize their efforts to close the health and well-being gaps in specific groups, which is a lot. These guys do a lot, and it's so, such an honor to be able to interview these guys and, and um, just hear Simon's heart behind it all. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we all meet on today. I would like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging in any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people we have listening to this episode today. Hope you guys enjoy. Firstly, I wanted to start with, what does fatherhood mean to you personally? Um, well, I suppose because I'm a stepfather, um, and so as a role of, as a father, um, it was very much, and I look back also when I was a kid, um, and I think it's changed a lot. I think actually that men are getting much better at understanding that they are active participants. I think my, my parents were, you know, great people and all that sort of thing, but I think they were more of the ilk of um, they were there to feed and provide and didn't understand the other parts of it um, in terms of the that level of emotional support and things. It was like, you know, and I grew up in the country, so you just went out and, you know, did your thing every day. Um, so I look around today and see, and also, so with my stepson, I mean, I was there since he was seven. Um, and just that role that you play in terms of, it's, it's kind of from that point, it's that thing of helping them through the bumps, but letting them actually have the bumps because experience I think is such an important part of life. Um, letting them actually experience life, but making sure you sort of got the training wheels ready if you need them. Yeah. Uh, and if, um, if we go into your experience um, as a child, where, where did you see that work well for you? Um, and, or, or maybe where did you see that be challenging for you? In terms of? Then with your father or your father figure in your life as you were a child, when you, like, as you're talking just then, it's really exciting because you're talking about how you father in a father figure role to a stepson and allowing them to have those uh, experiences, as you say, um, to learn through. Yeah. Um, are there reflections from your own personal childhood or development years where... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it. Yeah, it's um, it's that thing of um, like when I was a kid, I grew up. It was pretty much you'd have your breakfast, and then it would be you've got to be home in time for dinner, right. and whatever happened in between yeah. was you know yours for the mayhem, basically. And like we did stuff back then, like you just couldn't dream of doing these days. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day about how. Um, I remember when I was a kid one day, I wanted to go, uh, we used to do a lot of shooting and hunting and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And 
Um, and so I wanted, there was a place that I wanted to go because I reckon I could get a fair few rabbits. So I got up at, oh, what was it, 4.30 or something. And I was, I mean, I distinctly remember riding down the main street of the town I grew up in with the rifle over the handlebars. <laughs> got my backpack with, you know, the ammo and everything. And that's how I, and it's just like, you, it's just not a chance in hell you're doing any of that today. <laughs> Um, so we used to go trapping and fishing and all sorts of stuff, you know, had a bush bomb. Um, and I, you know, there's some things we did, which I just think, God, you know, we survived. That was good. Um, but my parents were very hands off in that sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't think they had a clue, to be honest, what the hell we got up to. Um, and uh, I don't know if they, sorry. Your father at home was he in, in was he present in in your life at that age? Look, probably not so much to be honest. I mean, it was very much it was a very traditional household in terms of you know, mum stayed at home, dad worked. When dad came home, you know, it was dad watched what dad wanted to watch on telly, and and we just went as kids and did our thing. Mm. Um, and my parents were very religious as well, so you know they were ex missionaries from New Guinea and. Right. So it was, it was a pretty, what you would, if someone was going to do a, um, a series and it was going to have your traditional sort of 1970s uh, Australian family, it'd be that sort of thing in a country town um, where, you know, mum and dad and the kids, the kids have seen and not spoken to so much. And it's, it sounds worse than it is though. Right. In terms of, I, look, I wouldn't do it today, but back then, you, you know, I don't think anyone knew that differently. Right, right. And um, your experience as a child in that is that you had obviously had a lot of freedom. Yeah, yeah. Stacks, maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, you know, I mean, we did, we did so much that I'm so grateful for that, you know, the experiences I had as a kid and were just phenomenal. I mean, you know, horses and, you know, camping and doing all sorts of stuff. Mm. It's sort of these days now, um, you know, when someone says, do you want to go camping or do you want to go? Bush, it's like, oh, look, I grew up doing it. It's okay. I want to be near a coffee shop and you know, <laughs> <laughs> go out for a feed. <laughs> so, I mean, um, in, that, in that time, uh, we had all that freedom. Is there someone or some people or whoever played a father figure role who wasn't your father that was, um, we find in, a, in, a, in the work that we do in, in dad's group, connecting fathers and father figures, uh, a lot of the grandfathers that come to a dad's group play a fatherly role to some of the other dads. Um, is there anyone in your, your life who you, I guess, was a mentor or a father figure in that shaping or, you know, maybe earlier on in life, maybe later on in life? Yeah, look, when I was about 14, 15, um, I met a mate who's a, one of my best mates still today. Um, and I'd have to say his dad and his family were very much like my family. I mean, they just opened their doors. And so I spent nearly every weekend there. And, um, and yeah, uh, his dad was just this, he again was your, your very much your silent type, um, but he was also, he would in, involve himself, inject himself at the right times. Right. 
uh, usually when we'd done something, but he was never, uh, like I just remember one time we'd, I don't know, we'd hitting golf ball around the house for some reason and smashed the caravan window. And he was inside. We didn't know he was inside. And then he's like, and so he's just, and he's made sure then that we knew that he was inside because he wanted to see how long it would take one of us to come and fess up. <laughs> um, and so we finally did go in there and he's just like, okay, well, look, it's happened. Um, so what do we need to do about it? Um, and, and this is a guy who, I mean, he was, he was brought up working hard. Um, and, but his compassion and his own level of emotional intelligence was actually really high, yet he didn't probably credit himself with that. Mm. Um, and that was something that always, like, I just looked the way his sons actually just revered him as a man um, because his, and it was you know, like he had a, an amazing work ethic, but it was the way that he treated people and the way that he treated his his sons and daughters was um, just this sort of guiding hand the whole time. Whereas they, it wasn't, he did it in such a way that they didn't need, they didn't need him to be there to know that that guiding hand was there. If that makes any sense, that makes absolute sense. Um, but it's also uh, um, highlights such a a curiosity as as to you know in, in this session where we're going into the concept of fatherhood and what it is and and how it influences us both you know upwards towards fathers or father figures and downwards towards children. It does you know make me very curious. Of we all have had those experiences where that guiding hand is effective when they're present and when they're not present. But I guess my question to you is, you know, in, in your years of experience, what is it that makes it um, this ever-present guiding hand? What are the things that, that make his presence still impacting you today in, in your in your day-to-day, -day, you know, personal, professional life? What do you think, what, what you know? Yeah, it's interesting. It's actually something, because um, he died about, three, four years ago now, mm. and um, and talking to my mate about him. Mm. Um, and also watching my mate with his son now and the way that he, he um, is involved with his son mm. uh, is really interesting because he's gone probably the next step in terms of that level of involvement but also making sure that there's a there is a reason for a bond on certain levels but also being far enough away that yet you know that his son gets the opportunity to do what he wants to do and be who he wants to be yeah. with no pressure that's associated with it um but actually still making sure that he's got that guiding hand principle and we we both when we talked about sort of the guiding hand that he had we couldn't put our finger on it it was really hard to it's just and that's the only thing i can come up with is sort of this this um you kind of feel like you let someone down if you don't and you sort of would feel like oh you know kind of let him down and you know it didn't because and whereas he would never judge he wouldn't judge you no 
but you judge yourself based on what you think that he's going to he thinks of you so that that is exactly like just talking about that makes so much sense to me i'm sure it resonates with many other people but um so essentially he's given you a true north or or, or a level or or a a role model um that you aspire to when you're either cognizant of that and he's present or you're subconsciously aware of it and he's not present and yeah i think you're right tom i think it's um it's that it's probably the thing of here's your here's your basic guiding principle of being a decent human being yeah anything yeah. you can add to that i'm going to give you the foundation yeah. you just you just build on it which is such an incredibly special thing that in all our science and all our you know program support is something that you know we happen to stumble across in this conversation talking about someone who you probably didn't even think we were going to talk about and realize there's probably an empirical truth there that could be really well talked about unpacked in other communities of, of, um, of fathers and, and father figures or uncles and, and those types of things. Cause when you're talking through this from your experience, I can, um, I can resonate with other fathers and father figures and uncles in my life that have had that experience. And I think, um, yeah, so to get to the core of it, maybe we never will, but we are definitely digging deeper. Some of the things that he does or did allowed you to, as you said, either feel guilty, even though he would never judge you. So what, what is, what is going on there and, and how, how do you seek to replicate that? Or how do we seek to replicate that? Because it, it's obviously a positive thing. It's definitely not a negative thing. Yeah, no, it's, and and um, I think it's, you're right. And then, look, unfortunately, some people will, um, the bits we know about mental health, will take something and always look at the negative in themselves. So they judge themselves very harshly and very badly on these things. Mm. I think it's really important that um because we we all judge ourselves i mean you know i think that thing of you know we're we're all our own harshest critic mm. um is pretty true for most people mm. um and we do it to ourselves mm. um and then we put puts the pressure of what we think someone else might think about mm. it on ourselves mm. and i think in my case uh what i've always tried to do is go actually no it's not I know that they wouldn't judge me. I know that the, that uh, they wouldn't judge me negatively for whatever I, it is that I think I'm beating myself up about. So if they're not doing it, I've actually got to give myself compassion first um, because that's the only way you can be present as a father or a stepfather or whatever else. Mm -hmm. You have to actually first, first thing, you've got to actually be compassionate to yourself. Um, because if you're not, you're not actually going to be there for the, for the people that you're trying to actually provide for in whether it's emotionally, et cetera. Mm. Um, so I think we've really got to, it all, I just think most things keep coming back to the view you have of yourself um, is really important. And that comes from a, a base, a whole lot of foundations, et cetera, but you've got to be the ones who's responsible for building on that that base yeah that's that's really um something that i've seen in in parenting 
both for mothers and for fathers is an important principle because it, it appears that your children can only get a little bit beyond where you ever got to um, by themselves, maybe a little bit more with that kind of guiding hand principle that you've had and I've had and they will hopefully have through the community around them as, as the, um, the mothers and father figures that are, you know, auntie figures who are supporting them. I think that's one thing that's beautiful about the Indigenous culture that I grew up in in, in Northern Territory is the way in which they do family mm. and it's less structured and there's this kind of, there truly is the village that raises the children yeah. um, and there's this, you know, everyone in that community contributes that guiding hand principle towards each different child in a different way. Um, and everyone, I, I guess it probably wouldn't be talked about as everyone has a specific role with a role position description, but it would be something that comes about through that natural, you know, years of, of um, living and doing life together. Do you think that... Um, that this gentleman, your friend's um, father, has had an impact on you professionally? Um, look, he's definitely someone that, when it comes to work ethic, uh, it, there's no question that. Uh, but I think my own father as well there, uh, when it comes to work ethic in terms of, you know, working probably probably a little bit on the, the side of, you know, to my own detriment sometimes in terms of, you know, you do that thing where you do the lot, you know, the longer hours, those sort of things, and you think you're doing the right thing, and then you pull yourself out of it and you go, well, what the hell, you know, that's that's just not healthy. Um, Actually, and that, 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 um, that reminds me, so we do have to get, uh, I'm not sure whether you've, you've, you've had the, uh, the, the prep call before this, but we do, in each of our calls with the expert interviews, we do try and get to a point of fatherhood success stories, but also fatherhood failing. So um, in, in that space, the intention of the sharing where we've failed potentially as father or father figures or humans or whatever, the intention is to be able to share that if you feel comfortable with this group of new fathers to, I guess, um, be that guiding hand for them uh, along the way to potentially avoid some potholes in um, in their lives and going forward. Because I know specifically that work is one that I can pour into in in the pursuit of those dopamine hits of ticking boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, yet there have been times when that's been um, something I may not have done again if I had you know that chapter. However, that you know, it's, it's a complex one. But tell us about you. What's your experience in that space? Well, I'd actually, I'd say it actually that's the the fatherhood's uh, failure would actually come from, and that's all linked into the is is not is probably not being present, um, and that's because of whatever other thing you think is actually important at that point whether it's work and everyone, you know, it becomes really, uh, you, you, you start this self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of work, you know, the, and I've always, and I've said this to a number of people I've worked with, you just have to, there is a point in life where you've got to, you've got to decide, okay, the harder I work, the more work I will generate. So you have to actually get a balance there because when you do that, 
yeah, you can you can keep going and going and going and going, but other things have to fall off. Mm. So it's your choice. It's no one else's choice. No one is making you do it. No one's got a gun to your head. You choose what you want to do. Do you want to be present for your children, for your partner? Are those things the most important thing to you? Or is your career the most important thing to you? And if it's your career, well, then that's a conversation you need to be having and sort out you know, what your, where your priorities are and where you want it. Because in five years time, if that's not where you want to be, guess what? You might actually not be able to go back. Mm. Um, so you have to, you act, really need to decide where you want to be and how you want to do those, those bits and pieces. Um, I think that's really important is, is yeah, is being present. Mm. And in that, statement about being present whilst it's something that's easy to say i find it particularly hard to do yeah i find it hard to do in the in the moments not just because there's there's a big picture present like oh i work from home you know covid's here and you know i'm present with my children but then there's either the phone or the jobs or the sweeping or the kitchen or the laundry or just putting you know the kids in the car where i'm not actually present with them and who they are yep. in the delivery of being present yep um how do you get better at that i i think that's actually what you've just said though is i i reckon it's one of the keys it's it's going actually being present doesn't mean it's actually the little things as much as the big things hmm. so it's the when you've got the car trip um with kids and you, you're taking them to school or whatever it is you don't do work calls, you don't do anything else, yet you talk. Mm. You actually, you are there. Mm. Um, when, you, when you've got to do sweeping or some stuff around the, around the house, you do it with them. Mm. And yes, it can take you twice as long. I get that. Um, <laughs> Boy, if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> um, but to make sure that... Um, I did that yesterday, literally. <laughs> we sweat, we sweat, we sweat. Got a vacuum and then bang, vacuum, busted open, just dirt everywhere. It would have been four times at best. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great moment when I was present, but man... Oh yeah, yeah. I was talking to my neighbour just the other day, and he was saying how he, his seven-year-old um, wanted to help him because uh, they're getting a pool put in, and he was absolutely going home. He said, "Dad, I have to help you. I have to, have to, have to, you know, come and help you." I said, "Okay, fine." I said he, half an hour after he started, Dad, I'm think I'm finished. <laughs> so that was his that was his pool building uh, career over and done with in half an hour. Pretty good, 30 minutes, I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so coming back to the question around, you know, how would you help others avoid some of those failings if, if um, dedication uh, on the wrong, well, not the wrong thing, but on a thing that you think is right now that you'll perceive to be not what you want later, um, is it about to, how, do, how do you avoid it? Do you, say, you said something about having conversations. I think I think you've actually got to. None of us, are, well, some people probably are, but uh, 
if you'd have asked me when I was 25 mm. what I'd be doing in 10 years' time, yeah. I could give you the rote answer if it was, you know, for a job interview or something like that. But um, could I have honestly told you what I what I really believed I'd be doing? Probably not a chance in hell. Um, so it's a, it's a, quite a challenge to say, you know, what what is the constant I want? What is the thing I actually want? And that's the bit that I think you have to then work around. And I I think when you have children um, and you have a family that is the constant that you're committing to so therefore everything else around that uh i mean your work still needs to be fulfilling and enjoyable uh and you need to get something from it mm. but it shouldn't be at the behest of your family mm. um and if you're in a job where that is the case i mean i think the question needs to be asked is that actually the right job okay because no, you know, the old saying of no one lies on their deathbed and says, you know, I wish I'd have worked longer in the office. Yeah. Um, they all, everyone says, I wish, wish I'd have spent more time with my kids. I wish I'd have, you know, been there for their birthday. I wish I'd have, um, they're the things that people, people miss and you can't get them back. Mm. You can, you can then go and when things, you know, your kids go to school and their, their hours are becoming more predictable, et cetera then you can go for that another job. Then you can do those other things uh, again in your life. That, that was going to be my next question. Have you seen people who actually have been able to do this? Because we all aspire to this, but most of the time, most of the people I talk to mostly feel like they're not doing it perfectly or effectively. They, they, they feel like they're, you know, you're either going, oh, yeah, I'm really just focusing on my kids now. And I have zero economic contribution to my family or um, or um, a negative contribution economically to my family because I'm working on this side project and side hustle whilst I'm doing with kids and end up, you know, doing not that very well and not that very well. Alternatively, I'm back at work and, you know, all the different stories that we hear. Is yeah. I think one of the things uh, as a society we have as a failing is this, we deal in absolutes. Right. Um, and so we, we all talk a lot about, you know, you're either kicking all of the goals at work mm. or, you know, so I got this big promotion and I, I, I did this, I did that, whatever. Mm. Um, or I've, you know, the usual bloke thing is, uh, I always say that the first barbecue question for a bloke is, uh, what do you do for a job? Which I, it's, it's, like it's one of those things that I purposely work on not doing because I don't want to be defined by what I do for work. Mm. I want to be defined by who I am as a person. Mm. So as a father, I would love to be at a barbecue and, you know, someone says, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, I've got three kids. We spend a lot of time. Like, you know, one of my boys is, uh, used to start a footy. Um, it's like, okay, that's, so that's who you are. That's actually how you define yourself. Mm is your family and and your your kids mm. you're not defining yourself by whatever title you've got in the job that you're currently in mm. um and i think this thing about absolutes that we because you can i think the balance isn't as exciting mm. as an absolute an absolute's very exciting because it's like you know there is actually now more which is fabulous to hear more guys will say i'm a full-time dad and it's it's actually and it's a good thing, 
but you also hear guys who go, oh, yeah, I'm the CEO of or I'm the project manager for or whatever else. Hmm. But it's the balance, the balanced response of, you know, I, I've actually got a good job and I spend time with my kids, etc. It doesn't sound as sexy. So we don't hear it as much. And it's why, you know, newspapers only sell bad news stories, right? <laughs> so the things we remember are actually not the things that are actually the most successful, which is what we're talking about, which is balance. Yeah, right. So it's almost like redefining mediocrity as success. <laughs> well, I don't think it's mediocre to have oh, balance. No, I know, but, but what's perceived as mediocre yeah. is yeah. actually not mediocre at all. It's it's the goal. Uh, like something that's perceived as mediocre might be having a, a good enough job with good enough conditions and a and, and a family you enjoy and you have your challenges with, and maybe that is that is that is success. That is success. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that's actually because it is seen as not being that interesting, <laughs> it just doesn't get much airtime. Yeah. And so you know, there will be guys in dad's groups across Australia that are going, you know, hopefully going, well, that's me. And I thought I was, but but that's great take give yourself a pat on the back god you are you are absolutely nailing life if you've got that good balance yeah that's uh that's that's a good thing that's a good thing to share and good thing to, to hear and i'm sure it'll be a good thing to remind each other uh in the in the months and years to come because striving for that balance is something that is we're always striving, never actually attaining without looking back and going, oh, maybe, maybe I am doing it. And, and it probably needs someone like yourself or like, you know, someone who's had a, a few more years or experience than, than some of the younger fathers to actually remind them that, you know, this is it and you are doing it. And, and the, you know, the gold in life that you can contribute or that you can glean is, um, is, is right here and right now. And, and you won't, and hopefully we can help them, help us all reflect on that because so many years can go past as as I know just punching out um, <clears throat> steps towards milestones that uh, yeah. don't, don't deliver uh, the satisfaction you possibly thought it may. And Simon, um, fatherhood success story. So um, in the space of fatherhood, where give us a moment or a, or a time where um, yeah, anything that's been positive and you're like, yeah, I, that was good that I did. Look, I, if I was going to ask, if I was going to say the ultimate success story, it's it's looking at uh, my stepson as the man he's become. Awesome. Um, because he, you know, he is a great person. Mm. Um, he's, he's really decent to people. He cares mm. about other people. He's got He's got his own great work and life balance. Um, you know, he's just, he's living life at a pace mm. that he enjoys uh, and, you know, the pressures of the things around him and what what society has an expectation of him doing, having a nine to five job, he's thrown out and he's just said, I'm not going to ever do that. Mm. Um, and so works for himself and does a very good job at it. And yeah, he's a, he's a, great person and if i've played a part in that in some way mm. i would say that is my greatest success story that's awesome that's really great to hear thanks for sharing that um a tip or an encouragement you give to a new 
or expecting father. Just um, the, the context of this is, um, which we will get into in a little bit, but with all the research that Healthy Male does, which we haven't even talked about yet, um, and, and all the, your personal experience, that guiding hand principle, um, some of the things that you've gleaned along the way, not that you have to narrow it down to only one tip, but what's something that comes to mind? Um, the one I think that comes back time and time again uh, is, and again, it's this in the moment versus the bigger picture. Sometimes the in, being in the moment, the, the moment can be pretty bloody awful. Mm. Um, and it's really hard to see the bigger picture. And that's, there's, there's help, there's help to, to help you see the bigger picture. There's help to get your head out of the moment sometimes um, and help you actually see the vision that you need to get you through whatever it is at that time. Um, sometimes those little things become bigger things. Um, and, and, you know, there's lots of, lots of things that occur in life where, you know, medically there's, there's labels for them, but sometimes it's just moments in life, which are just bloody awful, but you know, it's not a, it's not a clinical issue as such. So it's not a depression. It's not an anxiety, but it's just a bloody awful moment in life. Um, that's where I think as, as, as men, we just have to be better at saying, I actually need to talk to a mate. I need to talk to someone. Uh, I just need to get a bit of a hand uh, to get through this. And even if it is just to talk to someone, you don't sometimes need the answers. Hmm. What you just need to do is to clear your head. So I just say, when those moments happen, don't wait till the moment happens. Sort of go, okay, it's like, you know where your mechanic is before you, you need to get your car serviced. Mm. So, so be, be like that with yourself and go, actually, if I ever need something, I know I need to probably have that number or this number on hand. Mm. Um, and there's plenty of services around that can help you. And they're, they're as simple as, and they will just listen to you. So, yeah, that would be the number one is that even when things are bleak, um and especially when things are bleak that's when you actually need to just go okay i can't i can't solve everything i can't fix everything mm. and i think my generation was very much of the mentality of we had to fix things ourselves right uh i think it's i think it's getting better um i still think there is a there is a um belief that i think people in general think i, I think you know men men are worse at it than women uh, but this belief that we have to be able to fix things ourselves. Um, I mean, I just think it's garbage. It's just, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous uh, response that we do to it. We make ourselves do. Right. For, no, and again, it's this thing of, I don't know, we think we're going to be judged. We think um, we wait too long to, to get the help. I'd rather go early um, and only need a Band-Aid as opposed to stitches. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's probably a good segue into uh, healthy male, Simon. As the um, 
the leader, CEO of Healthy Mail, the work that you do in this space is quite um, phenomenal and the work of your team and the work of all the different partners and, and parties that contribute to that, those pieces of work. Um, with respect to fatherhood and particularly perinatal fatherhood or fathers in that perinatal early, early years period, tell us what you've, um, maybe what you've discovered in that exploration of that stage for our nation, for Australia. Um, uh, a gaping void. Um, <laughs> it, look, um, the system, the system, I try to always use an analogy of if you're, if you're selling a product, you sell a product to the person who, who turns up to buy it. Um, so you develop the product around that person. It, it evolves for that person. The health system believed for a long time that it was women and only women that were the, the purchasers of anything to do with babies and, and children. And so they developed the product around them. So it's taken us quite a while, and I don't mean us as healthy male, I mean us as men, to go, hang on, actually, that product's not just for women, that product should be for men too. So the challenge that we face and all of the partners that we have is actually trying to unravel this system now. And we can't, look, to go back to scratch is, is nigh on impossible. But to unravel it and find out where we can actually inject fathers into the system, how we can do that best, where we can actually adapt the system um, is, is the focus of what we're doing now. And there's also whole parts of it, which we go, you know what, actually don't need that part of the system for, for fathers. It's of no use to us. So in fact, let's create something that's actually father centric. Um, and so that's, that's part of the way as well. Um, system change and health system change is a slow moving beast. So I saw this morning um, uh, the upcoming Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, they've got their releases have come out. And uh, later this month, we've got maternity models of care in Australia. Now that's a probably three years in the making for them to get to the point of publication. Um, we can only hope that the 2025 version is uh, has the letter P in front of it. Um, and uh, so therefore it's a little bit more encompass encompassing of, of men and women. Yeah. Um, and I think, look, it, it's, it is a, it's slow moving. That's where the best way to get the change happening is you've got to do this, this top down and bottom up approach you can't just sort of top down is really hard because you're trying to get systems and policies and things so to do that on its own and get it then to filter back down through but if you're pushing up from the bottom as well through programs and services etc hmm. you actually get a better and then the, the squeeze happens in the middle um and that's how you can actually you'll get it through much quicker so the programs that are out uh, at a service level, there's a, there's a bunch of really good programs occurring now. And you've got people like Panda, 
you know, have a have the um, line that uh, encompasses men within their postnatal depression. Um, you know, we've got men's line, which is specifically for men. We've got uh, the inclusion of um, fathers in a number of things like the, um, uh, I've forgotten the name, but the uh, breastfeeding. Um, there was a guide put out by the federal government on um, uh, on breastfeeding and uh, the best way, you know, the, the systems that are around it. And it's actually a very good document because it includes fathers. And, yeah, right. and you could have almost gone, oh, that's one I understand they wouldn't have men in. But they've they've gone out of their way and they've included, included fathers all the way through it. I think so that um, certainly can happen. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And I remember that was something that came, <clears throat> well, definitely in the, in the World Health Organization, there's specific reference to fathers in that space, in breastfeeding, yep. the importance of fathers that as those supporters to the notion of breast breastfeeding is is um is the best if possible for the child in those those early early um months and and potentially years um so i mean in that space i, I like your concept of that top down and the bottom up and you know it, it does need to be doing both a, a lot of the work that a lot of organizations like uh, ours dad's group do are in that kind of community bottom up and then piloting things in, in hospitals. But, you know, last week we just had a meeting with Greg Hunt and we were able to hear, you know, his vast experience in the health space and then understanding what needs to move to be able to bring about the change that you're talking about, which um, it definitely seems more promising now than it has been 10 years ago. And I think that's a, uh, a reflection of all the work that you know many organizations including healthy mail have done their bit in that in some of the in the, the the policy kind of top space and the research and some in the bottom up and the community space but we are seeing that um the final question i've got for you is um if we were to redefine um perinatal fatherhood support or what could fatherhood look like in that space in the future and it's almost an impossible task, but throw us your words of what the father father's user experience would be or journey would be or could be 10 years from now from, you know, finding that little double blue line or pink line or whatever it might be on the, the pregnancy test with his partner. Yep. Um, so, so when he finds that uh, uh, double line on the pregnancy test, it's not going to be. It's not going to be new news. It's not going to be anything uh, that's going to be daunting or etc. Because he would have learned at school, actually, what his role as a father will be. He will learn. Um, so he's not just going to learn about um, health in terms of a generic thing, but he's actually going to learn about his role. Uh, as a um, his biological role in terms of what he needs to do to be a, a, a healthy um, and happy and you know uh, person growing up, but also the 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 important touch points through his life where those his emotional health and his well being actually impacts others, mm. and so things like so the one we always talk about is the preconception. Uh, health of men. I mean, the majority of men do not realise that uh, that their sperm is created that three starts being created three months prior 
to ejaculation. So in fact, you've got to be as healthy as you possibly can three months prior to you and your partner getting pregnant. So, but, but every time, every time you hear about a conversation occurring, um, it's like, you know, oh, we should have kids. And so the woman will go off and have, get zinc and folic acid. And the guy's sort of like, yeah, okay, I'll be here when you need me. <laughs> um, and it's, it's actually, it's not right. I mean, it's you've three months prior, you should have given up, you know, the smokes, um, cut back on the grog, um, got a bit fit. And because all of those things, the genetics of you at the time is carried through. And so the epigenetics, and I could get really boring really quickly here, um, but all of that gets carried through um, in the sperm. So any guy should know that is, is what I would hope in 10 years time. So he already knows that. So he knows, okay, so I'm at that age where I don't, you know, got my partner and we're probably going to want to have kids. And so I need to get my game together and, you know, uh, make sure I'm, I'm getting well. And I also know that, you know, when, because I remember learning in school, when, uh, when my partner's pregnant, I'm probably going to feel a bit more anxious than I would. And, and so I need to get on top of that as well. Um, and so all of those things will actually not be new. They won't be new news because you've actually already got the seeds of learning in your head mm. and you actually then start to, so as you're going through the journey, it's actually much easier through the journey. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And it's like, helps us to see that with um, the right policy around education and the right places around um, development, uh, you can actually contribute a far better experience for, for new fathers, which in turn, as we know through research, will massively impact uh, the positive experience for mothers and children, reduce the, the likelihood of you know family tragedy, family violence, isolation, mental health, suicide, and build better childhood development outcomes, which means, uh, I guess, essentially 10 years, 20 years from then, you're going to have a better generation of, of young people coming up as leaders. It's, it's actually, I think, and the health economics of it would be fascinating because mm. I think as a preventive um, health mechanism, I think it's got potential to be one of the most significant ones because you're right, it, it triggers into things like domestic violence, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so prior knowledge about what is about to happen enables some of those things to be addressed early on. Mm. Um, but also the epigenetics of, so that just means what's, what actually, um, so we know anxiety and stress can be carried through um, generations now. Mm. Um, but also things like, uh, so if you're overweight uh, at the time of um, conception, that can actually have an impact upon um, the health of the child. Mm. Uh, and so, so all of those things, if you know all of those things and you actually change you have you have change mechanisms in place mm. you can actually impact the health of your child which is the best gift you'll ever give them i hope you guys enjoyed that episode if you would like to find out more about dad's group or join a digital dad's group session which is what these podcast episodes are recorded from or connect with one of our amazing partners please go and check out our website at www.dadsgroup.org which we will also add in our information in the podcast notes 
Um, please remember to like, subscribe, and review, and please share to, with any dads and families that may benefit from hearing this podcast. Cheers, guys, and we are so pumped to do this journey with you.